We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Villato. On tonight's show, we're going to break down the All-22 film of the New York Giants defense during their 19-17 victory over the Cincinnati Bengals in Week 12. Where I want to start this one, Nick, is Patrick Graham, because this was an absolutely dominant performance by the defense, and credit where credit's due to a lot of these players and to the coaching staff, Patrick Graham. My God, did he put together a really good game plan to confuse, to slow down, to screw with Brandon Allen, a quarterback who obviously has limited experience at the NFL level, is not you know some high draft pick, some highly touted quarterback, but still someone who is playing at the professional level and someone they deem to be a better fit and a better option for them than Ryan Finley, who they drafted last season. Guy has decent arm talent, as we saw, a couple throws, he kind of showed that off. But Patrick Graham did so many things, especially in these third and long situations and these first and long obvious passing down situations, that confused, that screwed with, that made it nearly impossible for Brandon Allen to move the football. There were times, and a lot of it had to do with him just playing all of his defensive backs, and a lot of times it was five, sometimes six defensive backs at the sticks on these third and longs, but in unique ways, like we talked about off the pod, rotating in that inverted cover two, whatever you want to call it, Tampa three robber, what would you call it, Tampa two robber. Essentially, it's basically a look that ultimately ends up with three deep high safeties at the end of it that don't look that way before the snap. It certainly doesn't look like it's going to end up being that. And they're all at the sticks, and they're all playing at a depth that makes it really difficult for a quarterback to do anything but hit a deep post, basically, or a deep crosser, and you need time for that, and Brandon Allen didn't exactly have time for that. Kudos to the Giants' pass rush and to the confusion that Patrick Graham really had in this game, and you mentioned it too off the pod, so you can get right into it, but Logan Ryan said before the game he has he has a feeling he's going to be able to bait Brandon Allen in this game, and we saw situations where he did exactly that playing in that kind of robberish role that he's been playing a little bit more of lately so i thought this was the coolest game i'm going to put some of these on twitter after this probably later tonight or maybe tomorrow morning i have some screenshots of 
things that of, of looks that Patrick Graham showed before the snap and then where the defenders rotate to after the snap to kind of confuse the quarterback but I thought this was kind of the coolest game so far for Graham I know he probably felt like he could get a little more creative a little more uh risky with his play calling because it was Brandon Allen and the Cincinnati offensive line but for whatever reason it worked he did it and it looked awesome so the New York Giants came out here they did a lot of what they have done in the past, so it was a lot of base cover three type of stuff, a lot of two-man under when they were in man coverage. You rarely see the Giants in cover one, like man-free type of stuff. You see them if they're in man coverage with two-man under. And then there was that inverted cover two or tamper two robber, which we've mentioned a little bit on previous defensive podcasts. So essentially, there's a middle-of-the-field safety showing cover three pre-snap, and then he just kind of walks down post-snap, and then two guys from the outside. And wait, before you break this down, Nick, I just want you to actually walk this back because there are some listeners of the podcast who are actually learning with us as we go. So when you say a three-high look before the snap or a cover-three look before the snap, explain just exactly what that means. So it could be a cover-three look or it could be a cover-one look depending. Maybe a little bit more of cover-one because it seems like the cornerbacks are more right. – in a jam type of technique. They're kind of more up on the wide receivers, whereas cover three would be a little bit more off. But it doesn't look like too high. It looks like middle of the field close. Usually you'll look at defenses like, is it a middle of the field open, like a cover two defense? Or is it a middle of the field closed, like a cover three defense or like a man free defense or something along those or lines? cover one. Yeah, cover one, man free, stuff like that. So what the Giants did and what Patrick Graham did about seven times maybe in this game, seven or eight times, what we saw it with the Alex Smith interception of Logan Ryan, the inverted cover two, Tampa two, Rob, or whatever you want to call it type of look. It's basically Logan Ryan playing that middle of the field close looked pre-snap. He just post-snap walks down a little bit into a robber position and then the boundary corner to the field, it doesn't really matter exactly who, but two defenders outside on opposite sides of the field, they drop to deep halves. And they assume basically a cover two look. And it confused the heck out of Brandon Allen. A lot of times that middle of the field safety that drops down is not accounted for. And this kind of look, it's not something you want to run as a base. Because like Dan said earlier, you're really susceptible if the quarterback has times to deep posts, Yankee concepts. Because those cornerbacks are put into basically mental stress to really kind of have all their checks and balances kind of in order because you're dropping from a depth you're dropping from a depth by the line of scrimmage essentially all the way to like 20 yards deep then you got to collect yourself realize what the route combinations are and you got to look out for that other deep half player because there's no one else to kind of help out in the middle of the field so if there is a deep horizontal crosser you're going to need to kind of intercept that if he establishes inside leverage on the other deep half player essentially if you're one of those deep players you're kind of really in a mental stress but what it does allow you to do with that middle of the field player, that robber dropping down, it allows the linebackers to kind of be really aggressive against the run and read their run keys and act much in a much more instantaneous manner in terms of playing the run because they have somebody directly behind them to kind of cover their butts. So it definitely helps out against the run as well. There's definitely a lot of positives to it but it is susceptible to those deep balls. And the Giants come out against the Seattle Seahawks and run this. I can definitely see Russell Wilson taking advantage of deep middle of the field post type of plays to either Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf. But I I, I do love how they implemented it and how they used it sparingly in this game. More than we've seen previously, but it definitely was something that I like to see. And it's also cool because it wasn't always just the two boundary corners dropping. It was sometimes Julian Love who was doing it from a depth of about 10 yards. It was sometimes the apex defender being Julian Love who looked like he was just the nickelback doing it. So they're doing it from a variety of different alignments, and it seems like the communication between those two cornerbacks are really on par, and they're kind of always cognizant of where the routes are. And that's something that you're going to need because, again, the mental stress of those deep half players is going to be really bad if the pressure does not get home because... If I run a deep horizontal cross behind Logan Ryan and I get inside leverage on one of those deep half players and that other deep half player has no idea it's coming, goodbye. That's going to be an easy touchdown if the quarterback can hit him in stride. Yeah, and we've obviously seen examples this season of where Russell Wilson has hit DK Metcalf and to a lesser extent, but at times Tyler Lockett on these type of plays. So it's something that, like Nick said, it's best when used sparingly. And I think that Patrick Graham has done a really good job of picking the right spots to mm-hmm. use it. And like Nick said, he used it maybe once that we saw against um, Washington, obviously the play you talked about, with, then once against Philly. 
and then now use it a few more times in this game. Could have been situational. Seems like he's picking the right times and spots for it. Maybe he looks at the game plan against Seattle and says, we can't afford to try this against a quarterback as smart as Russell Wilson and with the kind of talent he has right now with Metcalf and Lockett. But we'll have to see. I just like that he's kind of diversifying his looks and confusing the quarterback. There are also such cool situations in this game where he had basically five or six defensive backs on the field and the rest of the guys lined up basically on the line of scrimmage and then they drop into a zone. There was one play where he had two linebackers, I believe it was 40, it was Coughlin and one other guy lined up on the right side of the line of scrimmage, right at the line of scrimmage. And then they drop to the right into the zone where the cornerback who then rotates into that cover high, that cover two, it's really cover three with Logan, like Nick said, it's the inverted cover two with Ryan in the middle. And then those two high safeties, one is a corner who's instead not, he's lined up on the boundary, but the Giants have faith in those two guys at the line of scrimmage to move out into the flat towards the sticks where that cornerback should have been vacated. And now you just kind of have this extra guy at the sticks playing high, the cornerback who can rotate to that spot. And it just makes it so difficult to find an air. Now, again, like Nick said, it's not that difficult to find a solution. You just have to hit these deep crossers and deep posts. But deep crossers and deep posts take time to hit. And they require good offensive line play. And they require a smart quarterback to make the release with anticipation and get the ball there with arm talent. They require receivers to know that route is there and to run it open. Yeah, and also those flat defenders, that's another susceptibility to it if they don't get out there. I thought Carter Coughlin looked excellent running out there. So much faster than than Kyler Fackrell, who this defense is going to miss, by the way. But another like another reason why this works, though, is because a lot of, especially against a younger quarterback, it's confirming what you think you know pre-snap to post-snap. And what Brandon Allen thought he knew pre-snap, yes. and then once post-snap happens, he hesitates, and he's like, what, those corners are going there? Where's that? Oh, that safety's there? Uh-oh. And then by that time, he has to just check it down, which there were plays where that happened. I think there was a play where Kyler Fackrell was the player to the field jetting out to the flat to cover, and you could see... Brandon Allen take the ball and he wants to throw a deep corner route, but he doesn't necessarily recognize the coverage and he sees Kyler Fackrell kind of float underneath the corner with that deep half player over the top of it. So he just kind of comes off of it real quick, checks it down to the flat in front of Kyler Fackrell, who was high load, but Kyler Fackrell did an excellent job coming down and just drilling the player. I'm not 100, it might have been Gio, to be honest, Giovanni Bernard. And uh, you, you see it kind of really confused quarterbacks like that. But again, uh, Russell Wilson's a different animal. Yeah, Russell Wilson's a different animal, but as far as this game was concerned, mm. Awesome job by Patrick Graham to confuse this kid. This kid looked confused often. And there were times towards the end of the game where he was throwing into spots where he should have been intercepted based on what Patrick Graham and the Giants defense rotated to or just showed or just where they were in the right spot at the right time there were times where Patrick Graham played cover zero like looks just man guys at the sticks just saying beat us deep you're not going to be able to and it's amazing to me with all the different coverages the Giants use all the post snap rotations how many times they show kind of those you know safeties not at super far depth kind of more of a cover zero look and with all that, teams are not beating the Giants deep. It's really interesting right now. Like, they had a play where they almost got the Giants for a deep ball, and Dribble Peppers made an incredible play. This was on the drive where Peppers, this might have been the drive where Peppers took over. There was a drive where Peppers took over, and we're going to talk about that on this podcast, but I actually don't believe this was one. This was probably just a different drive, but this play, they had their deep shot. As Brandon Allen's rolling out, tries to flip his hips, he's rolling left to the opposite side, but Jabril Peppers actually does the excellent job of flipping his hips from this deep half, breaking on the ball, and getting a PBU on this AJ Green deep route, and honestly, this is exactly the type of stuff you didn't see as much of from Peppers last season, and you're starting to see more of from Peppers this season as he's more of a complete player within Patrick Graham's system. These kind of big-time PBUs in pass coverage, this is this is now he's starting to turn his game into okay now he's not just this guy who can be an incredible player when he tacks downhill or he's that alley defender in game now he's also a guy who makes big plays in the deep passing game as a defender yeah on this play so it was first and 10 with 414 left in the first quarter for those who are on game pass so it's a play action naked boot where brandon allen is going to roll to the field side and jabril peppers senses the deep horizontal cross coming from the backside so he kind of angles his hips inward while knowing that he has james bradbury behind him from the numbers to the sideline but james bradbury is going to bite on an underneath drag route that was not picked up because kyler fackrell slipped and fell on his behind So James Bradbury bites down, and that leaves Jabril Peppers kind of in a really 
kind of difficult spot to execute his assignment, but he's able to have his hips turned, run upfield, keep his eyes on Brandon Allen, look at that deep horizontal cross to ensure that he's not that the middle of the field is not compromised. And then once he sees Brandon Allen start to load up, he completely flips his hips, turns towards the sideline, and darts from the numbers to the sideline to get this PBU. This is an insanely athletic and difficult play and a play that shows his mental processing ability, something that we've been a little critical of, and I think rightfully so. But this play right here really just shows how far along he's coming. So far along. Peppers is becoming a player who is on the top of my list of players I would like the Giants to extend and make building blocks and make players of this future, wherever it may end up, whoever may end up being the GM. We both feel pretty confident, Nick and myself at this point, that Joe Judge is going to be a long-term fixture here. I don't think Judge is the perfect coach. I think his time management at the end of halves is, can can definitely improve. There was a, there was, you know, he had another time. This was the second time this season where they completed a pass towards the end of the half with two timeouts and then 37 I think I counted it. I think it was 33 seconds came off the clock from one. It went from 117 to under 40 seconds with two timeouts. That was a mistake. Um, and as far as that goes, that's one thing. And I think that will change as you know he becomes more used to being a head coach. Same thing goes for the aggression. We saw finally an example of this game where he went for it on fourth and one and he was successful with it and it made a big difference in this game. So I think he'll get more aggressive in those spots. But otherwise, I mean, it's a slam dunk. And for as far as how the team competes, the improvement we've seen just individual coaching from individual players, this is another good example. I mean, Drew Peppers is a guy who, like you said, had some issues with mental processing in his first season with the Giants. Those are starting to be less and less. So there was more, I mean, there was a drive I thought that Peppers took over that I wanted to discuss with you. This was more run game stuff from Peppers, but it was just freaking awesome. So for those of you following along on Game Pass, you take it to 14.53 in the second quarter. The Bengals are set up with first and 10 on their own 31. And the first thing they try to do here is run a quick screen to the outside. And Peppers comes downhill, gets on his blocker, who by this point is 73, who tries to come out and attack Peppers, but Peppers uses a swim move with his hands to get over the defender, which is awesome. It's basically like a pass rush type move. Gets over the blocker, who I, who I believe is 73, Jonah Williams, top 10 pick. Basically, it's a pass rush move. It's awesome stuff. Breaks it, stops him in the backfield, stops the screen for a one-yard gain. So now we flip to the next play. It's second and nine, and guess what happens? The the Bengals try to run an end around with Erickson, but there's Jabil Peppers screaming down the line of scrimmage, reading this play entirely. You want to talk about mental processing. Here's another great example. And then just blowing it up for a four-yard loss. So before you know it, the Bengals now have a drive completely ruined. It's third and 13, and we've seen what happens to Brandon Allen in third and 13 against this Patrick Graham defense. He gets completely confused post-snap. The Giants play all their guys at the sticks one way or another. And again, it's an overthrow to A.J. Green. Play looks dead in the water. Play was dead from the start because of Jabril Peppers, who on two consecutive plays got the Bengals into a third and 13 situation. That is him, man. He took over a drive. There's so few possessions in an NFL football game. When you can take over a drive like he did, you are making a massive impact on the win and loss of it for win and losses for a team. He also had a huge play coming from the backside on a little Samaj P. Ryan like flare pass and Samaj P. Ryan picked up like 12 yards and then you just see number 21 fly across the screen and just nail to the ground and you just love how he plays he embodies what the New York Giants should be and what Joe Judge wants them to be and that's why I think he's going to be a big part of this team going forward yeah I think you're right I think he's on pace right now to get that second contract with the Giants and if he does get that second contract with the Giants I think that's when you can fully close the book on the Dave Gettleman, Odell Beckham Jr. trade as a massive success, especially when you factor in that from everything we've read, Gettleman wanted to get rid of Beckham the year before, but Mara wanted to give him one more chance for a lot of reasons that I know in my mind, one being that Mara wanted it to work with OBJ because OBJ made the Giants a lot of money off the field. It's a business. Everyone seems to forget this, but it's part of the reason why I'm pretty sure Saquon Barkley is going to get that second contract with the Giants. His jersey sales are still way up. He's still one of the most market, if not the most marketable players on the Giants. And he wanted to give Beckham one more chance, but Gettleman at least made that deal before another season went by and his trade value was going to go even further down. Because at this point, the Browns, who are likely going to move on from this offseason, 
are not going to get much for Odell Beckham. And the Giants, if they had waited another year, would not have gotten much. And if Peppers does get that second deal, it's slam dunk, close the book on it, a haul. Because you got Lawrence out of it. Ziminens didn't work out, but you still got a top 100 pick. It still could, though. Yeah, no, I don't want to say it didn't yeah, work out. Yeah. hasn't worked out yet. Yeah. And then you also have to factor in the salary dump with Vernon and then bringing on Kevin Zeidler, who we love. I know for some odd reason outside of this podcast, and shout out to Bobby Skinner because I always see him giving praise to Zeitler as well. Besides us and, and Dawkin Giants, Bobby Skinner, no one seems to think Zeitler is some kind of long-term fixture here. They're all looking for ways to get Zeitler cut off the team, recoup this cap space. I would literally pay, be paying Zeitler more if I had to. I don't, I, I don't think you can put a value on having such a short thing on the offensive line as Kevin Zeitler is. So another part of that deal. So again, Pepper, Zeitler, all these guys who are playing a big role in wins and losses this season. So just great stuff right there. I know when, earlier in the podcast you brought up Logan Ryan baiting Brandon Allen. And there was one play I really wanted to touch on. Because yeah. Logan Ryan, who, I mean, defensive MVP in this game. And Jabril Peppers had a great game. But Logan Ryan's everywhere. And mm-hmm. he's just so valuable. And I'm pretty sure everyone who follows the Giants wants the Giants to retain this player. Somehow, some way, they got to bring <laughs> just him back. find a way. But the, the second and 10 with 4.07 left in the first quarter is actually an excellent time where he baits Brandon Allen to almost throw an interception. And it's not from the inverted cover, too. It's actually from a... Uh, two-man under look so there's man coverage underneath two high safety and Logan Ryan is just eyeing down Brandon Allen waiting for him to throw this deep dig route where the cornerback is in trail technique and you could see Brandon Allen just eyeing it down the entire time and he goes to throw and then the last second Brandon Allen sees that Logan Ryan's about to intercept this ball so then he just tucks the ball and then just ends up getting sacked by Leonard Williams that sack is a credit I mean, obviously, Leonard Williams is credit, but that's a credit to Logan Ryan as well. That's an excellent play. And if you watch it from the from the end zone broadcast, you can just read Brandon Allen's eyes and just like, nope, yeah. I can't throw that ball on the next thing. And if you look at the bottom left of the screen, you just see number 23 just waiting to intercept the pass. Yeah, that angle, that second angle, that end zone angle is so funny. You see Brandon Allen, like, he wants this route. He's about to throw this route. And then he sees Logan Ryan, literally a guaranteed interception if he throws this pass. Also, like you said, from that angle, you can see Leonard Williams making a really nice move. We'll talk a little Williams soon. I mean, this guy is so consistent right now. He's playing at the highest level he's played, I think, in his career. Maybe that first Jet season. It's tough to say people loved him that first Jet season, but he's hit his stride there without a doubt. But I do want to talk before we go into the interior guys because it was an interesting snap count, actually, from these interior guys. We saw B.J. Hill play a little bit more. We saw a little bit less from Lawrence and Tomlinson, specifically Tomlinson. But before we go to the interior guys, I want to touch on what's going to happen now with the edge guys now that Kyler Fackrell is on injured reserve and out for the season. But before we do any of that, let's take a quick break to hear Nick Filato read these ads the best that he can because he came to me before tonight and he said, listen, Dan, I need to tell you something. I said, what? I, I was a little, a little nervous. I said, what? He said, Dan, I'm bringing it tonight. I am going to read these ads like no one has ever heard ads. I am going to sell every single listener on every single advertiser we've got on the list. And if I don't, if I don't, my last name is not my name is not Nick Filato. My name is my name. For those of you who get that reference, shout me out. Nick does not get that reference, sadly, because he has never seen the wire. But get ready, because here it comes, Nick Filato on the ad reads. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 
Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing, and you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day every day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So Kyler Fackrell placed on injured reserve. Kyler Fackrell is a guy who Nick and I have talked a lot about on this podcast because he's not like this one-on-one guy, but he's so savvy, he's so smart, and he knows where to be in this defense, and that's why he gets a lot of snaps in this defense. They were only on the field, this defense in general, 50 snaps this whole game. Fackrell played 23. Throughout the season, he's played a lot more than that from a percentage standpoint. We're kind of wondering right now, Nick and I, and we're going to kind of try to talk this one through with you guys. What's going to happen right now at Edge? I think you're going to start, what I think you're going to start to see are more game plans like this one where they really didn't have a lot of linebackers on the field for too many snaps at all. You look at it and it's a really, if you look at the snap counts for this game, it's super interesting. You have Fackrell, you, you have, sorry, you have Jabal Sheard leading the way with 24 snaps at that second level, not including obviously Blake Martinez, who's playing almost every snap. Then you have Fackrell with 23. Those are now vacated. Then you have Carter Coughlin, who played the most snaps in season with 20. So my assumption is he will play a much bigger role moving forward. But then moving past that, it's Crowder with 13, Cam Brown with 11, Lylos with 9, Devontae Downs with 9, Mayo with 8. So the Giants are really using a lot more looks with, with defensive backs on the field more often. They have a lot of different players rotating in. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do moving forward. I think... You might see more Jabal Sheer, Sheer, I'm sorry, Jabal Sheard, as well as Carter Coughlin. I think that's the two biggest benefactors. Where do you think this thing goes? From an edge perspective, I think it will be Sheard and Carter Coughlin getting out there. I'm a little hesitant to maybe say that Carter Coughlin will be the three down type of guy because I do not think he's going to be able to hold up against the run. So we should probably talk about the run. I think we might see what they've kind of done a little bit and put one of these linebackers there, which isn't really that great. But you might see some David Mayo and Devontae Downs sitting there on the edge on some of these mm. run type of downs. Maybe Tay Crowder, but usually on these rundowns, they like to have the two linebackers, so you would have Tay Crowder and Blake Martinez. So that's maybe one course of action they're going to kind of pursue. One thing I thought was somewhat encouraging down the stretch of the game, we saw Xavier McKinney play in the box. So that's something that maybe they will employ once he's up to speed with the defense. But I do think this is low-key, uh, kind of a big loss for this defense, losing yes. a player like Kyler Fackrell because of how effective he was against the run. I think Jabal Sheard is just as effective, if not more effective, than Kyler Fackrell against the run, but probably not as athletic, can't drop to the flats like Kyler Fackrell can. Sheard against the run, he he's somebody that you can't necessarily put a tight end on. And we saw that in this game. We saw Drew Sample go up against him two reps where Jabal Sheard just ate his soul and spit it out. I don't think you can necessarily do that, but when you're to the field and you need those field defenders to drop to the cover three, that's going to have to be Carter Coughlin. It can't be Jabal Sheard. He's going to have to be to the boundary in those positions. So that's going to be concerning because sometimes you need you think they're going to pass the football, but they run the football. And if they're running directly at Carter Coughlin, I'm not really 100% sure if he's going to be able to hold up at the point of attack to really keep the continuity of this defense together. So that's something I'm also worried about, Chris Carson running the ball to the field if they can't figure that out. So you might see Mayo and you might see Downs there. You might see more Nico Lelos who really showed out well. I thought he had a fantastic opening game to his NFL career. Now, there wasn't that many, I guess, run plays that he went up against where he where the run was directly at him. I think he was only out there twice during Rundowns, the run yeah. rundowns all the other ones were passing downs and he played really well in that limited time 
So I think this is a, a little concern going into the uh, the Seattle matchup. Yeah, it's a big concern for me because of exactly what Nick brought up. When you look at it in a vacuum, you might think Kyler Fackrell, that's not that big of a loss. He's not that good of a pass rusher, and he's our edge guy. That's what he's supposed to do. But in this specific defense, as Nick brings up so so importantly, what he's really great at and what he was doing so well was that he's acting as a two-way edge. He was able to drop to the field when they needed him to in those zone looks in the passing game, but also able to do a pretty solid job, not the best, but pretty solid job, honestly, of setting the edge in the run game. And that ability to do both of those things, neither is rushing the passer, and yet he's impacting both plays. Now, as Nick brings up, do you get that out of Carter Coughlin? We're not sure. We're not sure you get the two-way action there. Yes, he's actually had some really good reps in this game of where he was able to drop to the field side and pass coverage, and obviously he's able to brush the passer to some extent. But against the run, is he going to be a liability? Same question goes, but the opposite way for Jabal Sheard. Jabal Sheard can stop the run or hold up at setting the edge to some extent. Uh, he's actually pretty good at it. But can he drop? Can that big boy drop into coverage the way the Giants want him to? I don't want to see that big boy dropping into coverage, so I don't think it's going to be an excellent. Same thing goes for Cam Brown, but it goes flipped back to the opposite side. Can he hold up in the run game? Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, can he hold up in the run game at the point of attack on the edge? So there's a lot of guys they can mix in and mix and match, but I do think that this fat roll injury is going to be bigger than people really are giving it credit for. I think it's something to focus on, and we'll have to see how the Giants do with it. I think this is not the best matchup. Like you said, Chris Carson is, is a really tough running back. And so we'll have to see what happens there. But I do want to talk a little bit also with you about Jabal Sheard. Because Brett Bielma this week, former Wisconsin Badgers head coach, disgraced in my mind, disgraced (laughs) Wisconsin Badgers head coach, left the team for Arkansas for no reason in a move that totally derailed his career. He literally could have still been coaching Wisconsin. He does not know how stupid he was to give that up. That program wins, they print wins at Wisconsin. Someone's jaded. I mean, they print wins at Wisconsin. They don't lose. They don't. They don't not win nine games a year. And his college career is over. His coaching career, head coaching career, over. whatever. I'm past that. But he had a funny comment, and I was curious if you think he was trolling the media this week. Brett Bielma was asked about Jabal Sheard, who obviously had the game-winning play with the sack force fumble, and he said that he saw. <laughs> He made the decision to bring he, – he wanted to bring him into the Giants. The Giants obviously signed Sheard from the Jaguars practice squad, I believe it was. He was active for two weeks for the Jags. He played well, and the Giants signed him. But what Bielma said was he saw that pro football focus had <laughs> a high pressure count total for Sheard, and so he decided to sign him based on that. Now, do you think he was trolling the media? I think there's this whole thing with PFF and the media and the coaches and the players you're starting to see some players tweet about it i think that players and coaches are starting to troll pff oh 100 is this an example of a troll job absolutely <laughs> i was brett bielman brett bielman by the way is the type of guy who i believe because i've met brett bielman before i think from my one encounter personal encounter with brett bielman when i was a student at wisconsin he's the type of guy who would troll pff in this specific example and just troll in general do you think he was trolling here no doubt. That's amazing. That's awesome. There's no That's doubt. That's so that cool. Is. Then uh, I mean, dude, he's he, back on my good side. He, he knows Jabal Sheard. I mean, just New England Patriots. He's affiliated with the New England Patriots, and Jabal Sheard obviously was in that system right. too. There's ties there. And do you honestly think he would ever look at PFF no. or take that? No, absolutely not. That's he's awesome. Total he's, he's back on my good side. You know what, Bioma? All the crap you did to disgrace yourself with Wisconsin Badgers faithful. You, you're back on my good side now. I gotta, I gotta flip it forward. <laughs> yes, but Jabal Sheer, like I said, though, man, like against the run, he's you could tell, man, and I talked about it a couple podcasts ago, he packs that heavy mm. punch. And tight that ends, man, yeah, you need to be a really good blocking tight end to really secure and kick out and secure someone like Jabal Sheer because he's somebody that can really set the edge really well. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. He's a big boy, and he makes big boy plays, um, and I'm a fan. Let's talk a little bit about some other players, though, who had standout games and that we think – can be a big part of this Giants team in the future. So I want to start with our boy, the guy who I took some crap for. Not crap for, but people were just surprised, I should say, when I tweeted out I thought it was their best value pick in the 2020 class. And that's Darnay Holmes. A lot of people were surprised by that. And that's partially because he had some bad tape in 2019 while playing through injury, which no one gave credit for and considered because he was dominant in 2018. And the height issue, the height and the hand length, and, and every I'm sorry, the arm length and everything like that. 
But Darnay Holmes, man, he's starting to come into his own. I actually saw a friend of the podcast, Carl Banks, who has promised us a podcast. If you're listening, Carl, I know you sometimes listen into these shows. You've told me that you listen in a decent amount, so let's put that to the test. If you're listening right now, Mr. Banks, we <laughs> promised a show. We want to get you on. We're going to do it. We're going to finally get you on. So friend of the show, Carl Banks, put out a tweet breaking down Holmes, talking a little bit about why he's so excited about Holmes, who's playing faster now. The mental processing part has slowed down. He's really physical for a guy his size. And I just thought he had an awesome game. He obviously had the PBU that led to the Lalos interception, but that really wasn't the only time that he flashed on tape. He's been doing so... I mean, obviously the pass interference, like we said on the initial reaction podcast, neither Nick or I agree that was pass interference. And if you probably talk to defensive back coaches across the NFL, they'd be like, yep, that's actually exactly how you want to teach a defensive back to play the ball in that specific spot so that could be another one you chalk up to a really positive rep for darnay holmes i think tyler boyd like jumping into darnay holmes yeah exactly (laughs) and somehow the ref is literally again two and a half feet away but can't see this i just it's it's so confusing to me i know man but it's something and it happened and regardless darnay holmes he's looking better and better every week and this is new for us we haven't really seen somebody in the slot play this well as a rookie at least for the Giants at the cornerback position so I'm starting to get really excited about Holmes should I not be is this should I should I calm this excitement down Nick no you shouldn't because Darnay Holmes is playing incredibly well you can see the athletic ability you can see the confidence I think it might have been Jerome uh, Henderson who came out the defense backs coach for the New York Giants I'm not 100% sure if it was him but anyways somebody on the Giants staff said that Darnay Holmes has that Cali cool feel to him and you can kind of sense it uh, just by like seeing his Twitter and stuff like that. He seems like a really laid back kind of guy. But the reason they said this was because nothing ever gets to him. And he's always really relaxed and calm and he knows his assignments and he executes them. And you could see that through his play. And I, I just, I, I, was, I wasn't critical of the pick, but that was one pick where I was like, yeah, I'm not 100% sure if it will work out for X, Y, and Z. And I have my reasons and everything like yeah. that, but he's just proving me wrong 100%. And I love everything that I've... I'm seeing from him right now. And again, like Dan mentioned a couple of podcasts ago as well, he's playing a different position right now. He played boundary cornerback at UCLA, and now he's playing the slot, and he's doing it at a really high level, and he's not a liability in coverage, and he knows where to be, when to be there. He is just executing his assignments at a solid level, and he's always in position too on stuff like slice techniques and stuff with the free safety where he has to play outside and over the top of the number two kind of trying to bait that inside route and that inside throw from the quarterback so the quarterback throws and then you have the robber coming mm-hmm. down he's always in position with those and if it's not the the number two receiver breaking inside or going vertical or going out he's on top of that as well so i mean he's definitely impressing me more and more every game and i think the giants definitely found themselves a slot corner there yeah and that's awesome man because with the bad luck they've kind of hit rough patch wise with this cornerback position with between Beal and Baker it's really nice to hit on one because they needed it and they didn't take a huge swing they used a fourth round pick and if they can hit with a fourth round swing that's just going to help this process so much better because you can never have too many defensive backs that's my new thing and they still I mean Yidem obviously is playing a lot better but again remember Yidem is a bit limited he's a good really nice physical guy in the run game he's helping them a lot there um, and he's executing the system really well now, and he's playing much better football for sure. I mean, at this point, remember earlier in the season, the Giants were rotating in. They had Lewis there. They had Ballantyne for a little while there. Then they had some Yidem, and he was in and out. Now it's pretty much all Yidem, and that's good. That means he's playing better. But ultimately, I do feel like a big priority for this team is to get another corner who can play more like play more man, and trust, they can trust closer to that Bradbury level. But when you have a hit like Darnay Holmes, and he's in a new position and playing really well like he is it's a good sign it's a really good sign moving forward i think for this football team yeah and he's also somebody with his diminutive size that throws his body around with a reckless abandon oh yeah you love to see that's kind of everybody on this defense there's nobody on this defense that's uh pussyfooting around tackling anybody that's a great great point it's a great point this this it's so crazy to watch, like I watch this defense, and then I just think back to all the film we watched from last season, and I guess the season before as well. It's like I didn't know, 
I, I may be doubling, but I used to kind of feel like most defensive it's much easier to be a defensive coordinator and an offensive coordinator because a lot of these guys run the same stuff as far as the defensive coordinators go and then on offense just a whole boatload of things you could do and yeah like you said previous times on the podcast and you're right a lot of the offensive concepts are the same but there is so much variety as far as when you can call stuff oh, yes. and what you can call but on defense it's kind of like you know you can use different you can sometimes mix in the unverted cover too you can do a cover some defenses are just like the seahawks are just cover three all the time you know like there's different kinds of defenses and schemes but when you but thinking back the point i'm trying to make here is that like i can't believe what happened with james batcher like i just i don't get what any of that was when i'm watching this defense play there's so much more there's so many fewer breakdowns first of all if any, can you remember, besides, I mean, I guess you can call it a breakdown when they missed the tackle on the McLaurin touchdown earlier this season, but there really hasn't hasn't been breakdowns in coverage. The Cooper Cup one was The Cooper Cup one when they were running up-tempo, yeah. and you could tell that the Giants weren't set. If you rewatch that play on All-22, it was mostly just in a, a product of the was, Rams running tempo. It was a miscommunication between yes. Logan Ryan and Julian Love. Because of the tempo, I yes. think. Yes, yeah. Um, but other than those two plays, and maybe one or two that we're forgetting— there hasn't been the same kind of communication breakdowns in the in the secondary. The coverages they're running seem smoother, seem sounder. The players are playing harder. Maybe it's just that they like playing for Graham and they didn't love playing for Betcher for whatever reason. And you had a couple different personalities on that defense as well with Janoris Jenkins, who I don't believe is really the most team-first player. Yeah. Um, but whatever it is, and obviously you have Bethay out there at 39 years old playing deep half, but for whatever it is, it's just night and day, and it's crazy to see, and it goes into Darnay Holmes. It goes into all of these guys. And it's just excellent to watch Giants football right now where you have a physical offensive line winning the point of attack and a defense that's not making mental errors. It's a culture thing, dude. Yeah. There's a new head guy right now, and this is stuff that he's definitely been preaching and putting a – not saying that Pat Shermer didn't do that, but whatever Joe Judge is doing that's different than what Shermer did is obviously getting through to these guys as of right now. Now we need to see that consistently and winning – definitely will help that so let's hope the Giants continue to win yeah without a doubt let's talk a little bit about a player you mentioned earlier on this podcast you said stood out to you on film and he only played nine snaps so I'm curious to hear your take on this and that's Nico Lelos because listen at this stage of the game with Lorenzo Carter on injured reserve with O'Shane Zimmons on injured reserve with Kyler Fackrell on injured reserve that's crazy that's three guys they probably consider their top three edges going into the season definitely considered definitely considered their top three edges going into the season a guy like Lelos undrafted out of what Dartmouth I believe yep is gonna potentially play a bigger role down the stretch and you said you like what you saw he obviously had six reps in the passing game two in the run game one in coverage six pass rusher one in coverage one in the run game what did you see that you like so much out of Lelos? Well, first off, he had the interception, so that's just showing an ability to have awareness, follow the ball, track it, and secure it. That's fine. And then on the the Logan Ryan fumble on Drew Sample, he was the player in coverage that somewhat grazed the face mask of Drew Sample, but he was the one who contesting the catch point and kind of made Drew Sample struggle to secure the ball, which allowed Logan Ryan to come in and punch it. He also had a pressure on the goal line, which ended up being a touchdown pass, but he beat, I don't remember if it was... Jonah Williams or a tight end I think it might have been Williams he beat him around the outside and kind of was able to pressure and run right into the face of Brandon Allen in a more vertical fashion as Allen was flowing backwards waiting for T Higgins to come open on that play and then he also drew a holding penalty where he beat the offensive lineman cleanly and the offensive lineman had to hold him and all that in just nine reps. Yes and Carter, <laughs> Coughlin, Carter Coughlin also had uh, all that drew, nine reps drew a holding penalty as well so could just be him having the best game of his life in his first outing. Is it LeBron James tweeting about him? Is it something like that? Who knows? But all I know is he had nine reps, and he definitely made me look at number 57 several times in those nine reps. There's something to be said about that. Yeah, without a doubt, there is something to be said there. And again, don't judge a book by its cover. Just because Nico Lalos played at Dartmouth, just because he was undrafted, doesn't mean that he can't be an impact player. For the Giants now or in the future so I'm excited to see him moving forward for sure and let's talk a little bit about the Giants defensive line right now because we haven't spent much time talking about those interior guys it was an interesting game for the interior guys because I feel like as the season's progressing we're starting to see more of 95 which I am personally a massive fan of because 95 to me BJ Hill 
is one of the best pass rushers on this interior defensive line, save for Leonard Williams, who's obviously in his stride and dominating from that standpoint. But I thought 95 had a really good game, BJ Hill. I believe he got was charted here with, what, three pressures, but he looked awesome. I mean, those reps, you see him, and he's getting that immediate, he's beating his guy. He's really good at just beating his man, the guard, wherever he's lined up. He's more athletic than them. Yeah, he really is more athletic than the guys blocking him. Yeah. He's, he's kind of freaky from an athletic standpoint. I see what Gabe, Dave Gettleman loved so much about him. I remember when he scouted him and he drafted him, he said, everyone, based on where they played him in college, they're like, everybody, because remember, he was on that team with Bradley Chubb. They're like, everybody, and they kind of just used him as kind of just that run defender, the guy who's just taking up blockers. They're like, everybody thinks he's just this guy who takes up blockers, but I watch his ability to flip his hips, and he can get up there. And it, it's completely translated. Gettleman was right with that evaluation. Like, and I'm glad to see that he's not getting buried on the depth chart anymore. He's now playing within this rotation. They've turned it really into this nice four-man rotation. Obviously, I, I would call it like a three-and-a-half-man rotation, or I don't even know if that's the right term for it, but like Leonard Williams still plays the most snaps consistently, as he should be, because he's the best player on that, in my mind, overall, when you just consider what he's able to do as a pass rusher. I mean, Williams had a play where he faked a spin move inside and then it was a it was a fake spin he spinned inside then spin back outside to get the pressure it looked like a defensive end and this is a 300 pound six foot what six guy making this play or whatever he's six foot five so clearly he's going to play the most snaps but i love that hill's starting to make his way into the rotation and play a bigger role for this defense i hope it's a little bit more consistent and it's not just because the giants are up yeah. And when the Giants are up, means the defense or the offense is going to pass, which means mm-hmm. you're going to put your your personnel out there like that. So that's prop. That could be what it is, but it's great to have a BJ Hill for when you are up because he does have that high pass rushing upside, a little bit higher than guys like Dalvin Tomlinson and maybe even Dexter Lawrence. You could say not quite Leonard Williams, but yes, you're right. BJ Hill every game when he's out there in his limited snaps, he, he's always flashing as that one gap penetrator. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. Um, anything else you want to touch on specifically in the defense? Any other plays you want to break down on this podcast? I know we were looking desperately for number 29, Xavier McKinney. He played six snaps. I feel like I'm still open-ended on that. That book still needs to be written for me. I'm excited to see him this game. I think he's going to play a lot more against Seahawks. And even a lot more might just mean like 13 to 15 snaps. But I want to get a better idea and see more reps of him before I kind of go in there. Um, one play that stood out to me, just as like a funny play, was a second and 18 that the Bengals had from the Giants 36. I just thought it was funny after the snap to see Tate Crowder getting super physical and shoving AJ Green. And I mean, like, you watch Green in this game, and it just really looks like this guy is just like, what the, f- what is, what has happened to my NFL career? Am I really on this team now without Joe Burrow? This is where I'm at right now. I mean, like, I'm not to say, not to say he didn't play hard. He ran some solid routes. Like, he, you know, he didn't really do a good job of getting open. But, like, when you see him after this play, when Tay Crowder's just, like, shoving him after the snap, getting all physical with him, it's just so funny. It's like, Tay Crowder, Mr. Irrelevant, is firing into A.J. Green. I A.J. Green too, is just yeah. like, what the hell, man? Like, thought I thought Tay Crowder was going to get Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I just, like, Jalen, A.J. Green was just like, ugh, like, what, what is this? What, what is my life right now? Which is funny, too, because I wonder if they know each other. They're both Georgia guys. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. I didn't even think about that connection. Yeah, I wonder if they uh, know each other from being on campus. Obviously not at the same time, but just, you know, a lot of guys who went to school know a lot of the younger dudes. But on, man, I mean, I, I really like this this game plan that Patrick Graham had, yeah. how the defense played, and I'm really intrigued to see how these young guys are going to play going forward. I mean, look at all these rookies that are playing in, in the, on this defense right now. Tate Crowder, Mr. Relevant, Nico Lelos, undrafted, Cam Brown, sixth-round pick, Carter Coughlin, seventh-round pick. And Carter Coughlin, man. Darnay Holmes, fourth round pick. Darnay Holmes, fourth round pick. And Carter and Xavier McKinney, we saw for six snaps, but yes. we have a lot of hope for him. I mean, I'm, I have a, I think he's going to be a really good player. Found in this of league. hope for this too. Yes. Right? But uh, back to Carter Coughlin. I mean, that was a seventh round pick, and like I've said a couple times, I watched a ton of Minnesota football, and I really liked Carter Coughlin. My issues with him was I don't wasn't sure how he was going to hold up against the run uh, in the NFL, but in terms of his athletic like ability. Yeah, his <laughs> athletic ability and his quickness and his ability to pass rush, I always felt like it was more valuable than a seventh-round pick. And then when you saw some of his combine testing, that somewhat substantiated yeah. that. So I think the Giants may have found somebody really good, especially to be that flat defender uh, to the field in those cover three looks because he's definitely somebody who could bail and get out there quickly. And he has that kind of, those kind of athletic traits. 
Yeah, it's a really interesting point you brought up because you might not think you you might not really focus in on it when you're thinking about the Giants and evaluating where they're at. But it is pretty damn cool that they came into this specific draft with a new coordinator and a new head coach and a game plan for specific players they want to target that can play pretty much right away. It's insane that they're getting production already from, like Nick said, a seventh-round pick, another seventh-round pick, a fifth-round pick, a fourth-round pick, you know, a six, all these later-round guys, these day-three guys that you usually hope to just make the roster, let alone be able to maybe develop into somebody who can play at some point down the line for you, or a lot of the time, just you're drafting them just to be special teams aces. That's what a lot of these picks end up being in the NFL. But instead, they're guys who are fitting Patrick Graham's D in unique roles. Like you said, like Carter Coughlin, he was great in Minnesota rushing the passer. Like that was his thing. But now he's kind of looking really athletic and fluid and intriguing in that role you're talking about as that flat defender, which is such a key role in this defense with how much zone they're using and with just the way the defense is aligned on most snaps. So it's really cool to see these guys come into the fray and to see how much production they're getting from the rookie class and the fact that this rookie class is not even including the second rounder that they used and they used the first and third rounders on the offensive side of the ball so it's awesome man i really think there's a lot you could say about about dave gettleman on both sides of the spectrum positive and negative but something that you have to acknowledge from a positive standpoint is how he has worked with these specific coaching staffs to bring in the people that these coaching staffs have wanted. It's something that we saw with James Betcher. James Betcher wanted a lot of those former Arizona guys, so Dave Gettleman gave him those former Arizona guys. And that's how relationships are supposed to work between the front office and the coaching staff. I don't think that's something you consistently see around the NFL, especially with these poorer run franchises. So I think this is something that we may have here in New York with Judge and Gettleman. It's something that we had with Shermer and Gettleman. It didn't necessarily work out, but it's definitely intriguing. Yeah, it's a good point. And Gettleman does deserve credit for a lot of things that when I when I talk about why I don't want Gettleman to be the GM past this year, it really has nothing to do with his evaluations because I think he's going to get some right. And I think he's starting to get more right than wrong, which does provide at least that glimmer for me of like, okay, at least if they do retain him, he can he can hopefully keep that 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 rate up of hitting versus missing. Now, he's had his fair share of misses, okay? Let's not act like he hasn't his fair share of misses. But to be clear why I don't think Gettleman is a good option for next year, for the year after, for any more years, is because I think he has a flawed process, and also because they're not getting what they should have got out of that 2018 class. It's not like, because you have to factor in one important thing with Gettleman. We can't view this, and I think a lot of Giants fans are viewing it like he's had the 32nd pick of every single draft that he's had, because it's just not fair to view it like that. He's had a top six pick in every single class, and he's had one class where he had two first round picks and then traded for a third first round pick in addition to having that top six in every class and so with Gettleman I think that has to be factored in and unfortunately for me he hasn't done enough with the capital he has had but having said that he had a really so far it's looking like he had a really good 2020 offseason if you could evaluate every single offseason that Dave Gettleman's had with the Giants 2020 has to have been his best offseason I don't even think it's close when you factor in the capital as well like obviously if you just look at it in a vacuum they've they're getting more production out of this 2020 class than either of their first two classes 2019 and 2018 that's even in a vacuum but then when you factor in the assets they had in each draft because 2020 they had their least assets i mean they didn't have 2019 they had two first round picks traded for a third in 2018 they had the second overall pick in every round um, and then finally, this offseason, not only did he do a better job in the draft, as you mentioned, and did a great job of it, breaking down how many rookie defensive players are playing, he also had by far and away his best free agent class, not even close. Like, I mean, the other ones were like Omame, guys like Alec Ogletree, who I guess is not free agent, he traded for him, which is almost even, which actually is even worse. Nate Solder, you know, those didn't work, but these are all hits in this free agent class. Unfortunately, Fackrell now uninjured reserve. So yeah, Gentleman's having it. This is the offseason he needed to kind of try to win this job back. Again, I still think it would be a mistake. I don't like investing in guys who I believe have a flawed process. And I do think his I guess unappreciation for what draft capital is all about and kind of for positional scarcity and positional value it's off but having said that Nick I agree with you he deserves credit for a lot of things his evaluation specifically and also at least he has an inside out roster building approach because you know what there could have been another GM who came in 
followed in Mr. Reese's footsteps and had an outside in approach and used an early pick on a wide receiver or used an, uh, two picks on wide receivers or, you know, fired into another Evan Ingram type prospect or David Wilson type prospect. I guess he sort of did that with Barkley, but it's okay. Reuben Randall. Or another Reuben Randall, you know? And so at least he has consistently stuck to his inside out approach. And that's given them this defensive line, which I think is a little bit less valuable, but still valuable to the offensive line that's starting to come into play. And that's credit to Dave Gettleman as well. Nick Gates, if he continues at this rate, that's the best thing that Gettleman's done because he found him as an undrafted rookie free agent and he signed him before the breakout season. Two key factors there. Because now, by the way, the Giants now have Gates at an insane bargain going forward for, I think, two more years after this. That's awesome stuff. So again, that'll be another topic for another podcast I will say I'm warming up a little bit. I'm not where Giants Twitter is at, where like if you say a single negative word about Gettleman, they go off on you like this team has beaten anybody but the Eagles, Bengals, and Redskins. Let's be honest about this Washington football team. These are still the only four wins. Please, let's take this honestly, guys, and be realist about it, which I know Giants Twitter can't do at times. And not you guys. You guys of the podcast are less so, but there are some people coming after me earlier this week when I tried to talk about Dave Gettleman's 2018 draft versus the Colts' 2018 draft with Ballard but again we'll see that's more of a topic for another podcast and I just went on a long diatribe that I didn't want to have to go on but it's like a freaking like trigger word for me this Gettleman thing because I just I I, I'm not where everyone else is at on it I guess I just feel like I need I need someone to kind of I don't know talk some sense into me or maybe I want to talk some sense in them I don't know and I know it's an interesting topic for us at some point too Nick because I know you're probably a lot warmer on Gettleman than I am I'm definitely warmer because I feel like you're very cold, but I see what you're you're saying at the same time. I acknowledge what you're yeah. saying. I don't think you're wildly off, but I don't like like I said before. A, you're going to need somebody to replace him with. I think that's a big part of it. If they do have a good relationship, Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman, I don't think getting rid of him for past mistakes is something that that should be done. And I also think Kevin Abrams and Joe Judge have had their say in kind of how this front office is operating as well. They've kind of had influence in it, I should say. And I think that's going to be for the best. But with that said, if they part ways with him, I'm not going to think it's the end of the world. If they keep him, I'm not going to think it's the end of the world. Just have a damn plan mm-hmm. and stick with it and do it as a freaking team. That's fair. I think that's a very fair take on this. And I don't think it's going to be the end of the world either way either. Yeah. I just think it's a positive move. Because the problem for me is I agree you should not be judged or completely I guess, taken out because of your past mistakes, but these are seem to me to be repeatable past mistakes. That's the key. Are they repeatable? Does he tend to fall in love with prospects? Yes. You saw it with yeah. Baker. You saw it with Jones. You saw it with Barkley. The jury's out on Baker. I don't think there's any way Barkley can return value on that second overall pick. And Jones, the jury's out on... I'm sorry, the jury's not out on Baker. That's no, yeah, a mess. Yeah. I meant the jury's out on Jones. Yeah. But that's looking good. It's looking okay. There's no way in my mind Barkley can return value on that second pick. There's just no way you can convince me trading that back, doing what the Colts did and getting Nelson, Leonard, and, and Braden Smith out of that wouldn't have been better. But, again, it is what it is, and that's kind of who he is, and that's my only kind of flaw with him, and it's a big one for me. My, my thing is I think Joe Judge – I think this is more Joe Judge's team than is Dave Gettleman's team at this that's point. That's fair. And I also think Joe Judge comes from the school of thought, the New England Patriot way – where they traded their draft picks back quite a bit. That was kind of something that Bill Belichick did often, so maybe we'll see a little bit of change in that department. Now, is that a given? Absolutely not, but we'll have to wait and see. That's the hope, and if they can get to that point where it's more Judge than Gettleman, and Gettleman kind of starts to roll back towards retirement, he's more of just the evaluation guy, the guy who has that old film in his office with the notebooks that we saw that people made fun of and and i and i thought that was unfair when people made fun of that who cares i mean that's not a terrible way to like they're like oh here's here's uh la chargers gm ted tedesco look at his setup and then look at dave gettleman's setup well guess what i mean how good are the chargers right now that roster is terrible and they have justin herbert i mean like come on i know they're injured but let's get let's let's not let's not just make fun of dave gettleman for his old school setup and the thing about gettleman and judge too kind of reference this a little bit before it's also their relationship and i think that's something that people overlook if you bring in someone new and they just don't mesh well with yeah. joe judge that could cause a whole nother group of problems so True. if there is a good relationship there between gettleman and judge then i don't think getting rid of him for getting rid of him's sake is wise 
Yeah, I, it's it's totally fair. This will be a topic for another another day. And if the Giants end up winning the division, I think he'll definitely be back, mm. um, regardless of if it's a six win division type win. <laughs> it, I mean, it could it could be the case. Listen, if Colt McCoy has to play like two to four weeks, which is not out of the realm of possibility, everyone right now is like, oh, we're fine. We're gonna get Jones back after a week. I'm not so sure of that from a guy who literally couldn't plant four days ago couldn't plant off his throwing we'll see what happens there but if McCoy has to play multiple games I'm very worried about winning them Uh, I just I just my McCoy faith is very it's waning very thin I hope he proves us all wrong I mean that would be great I'm on on the same ship as you buddy I know we'll see what happens there but anyway this turned into a long-term 30,000 foot view end of this Giants defensive all 22 podcast so hopefully you guys enjoyed that 10 minutes I do apologize for the Dave Gettleman diatribe um hopefully for whoever's hopefully no one thought that was whining i I don't know how it could be interpreted as i guess anything negative these days can be um and i don't even know if i would consider that too negative but again as i've said it's a bit of a trigger word for me this dave gettleman stuff so we'll see what happens um but anyway thanks again for tuning in for those of you who haven't already please 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 do us a favor make sure you download every podcast make sure you Go to iTunes, give us a rating, five stars, hopefully. Hopefully you're not in that Kwame Zilla boat. Kwame Zilla. And five stars, write a little review, and we'll give you a shout-out in the pod. I know that's not worth much, but it's worth something, and we'll do it. And then follow us on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.